265. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like uh, a window than it is a mirror. Uh, we come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. So today we uh, pick up in Acts chapter nine. Last time we left off talking about my man, Philip. And how he was preaching the gospel and the Ethiopian unit uh, came to faith. And we talked about how uh, the gospel went to Africa before it went to Europe. Right. And so Acts chapter nine comes and we get introduced to my man, Saul. Right. Acts chapter nine, famous Damascus road story. Right. Saul, uh, also called Paul, is on the way to persecute Christians. Right. He is on the way to see that they are persecuted for following this dude who claimed to be the Messiah. And God stops uh, Saul dead in his tracks. Right. Verse four says this fallen to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, if you have a modern Bible, this these words are probably uh, in red. Right. Because this is Jesus, the revealed, uh, uh, the resurrected and ascended Christ coming to Paul. And he says something very interesting. Notice what he says. He says, why are you persecuting me? Now, it's very interesting. Why? Because he uses the first person singular pronoun. <laughs> right. And it's so good because if Christ, you have to ask yourself, if Christ is ascended and in heaven, how in the world is, is Saul persecuting him? You see what I'm saying? All right. So, so, so in other words, I think, uh, not, I think what, what is going on here is this, um, Jesus is as, as, as resurrected and ascended has poured out his spirit and what the Holy spirit does theologians call is it unites us with Christ. It provides something called union with Christ where we are now in him and he is in us. We are so united with him. Paul will say in first Corinthians six that we are one with him fam. So it is this deep mystical, spiritual existential union. We now have with the risen and exalted Christ. Therefore that's when Paul, that's why Paul gets up in all his letters and he's always talking about being in Christ right you're with christ you're seated with christ you're through christ by christ it's all in christ you are in christ so listen so jesus is saying that no no, no to to persecute them is to persecute me now notice this is why the new testament as well says that we are his body right how could they use that metaphor if we are not deeply intimately tied and united with him and so it's interesting because most scholars will say that paul's theology flowed out of this vision now this is so good too because if you read texts like isaiah 6 if you read texts like ezekiel chapter 1 if you read texts like uh, jeremiah chapter 1 right you see that god's uh sent ones the people he sends to proclaim the good news of what he's doing on earth uh, their theology usually flows out of their initial encounter with God, right? It's the same thing here, right? And so Paul is following in the same tradition. Now, it's interesting because on his encounter, he gets blinded, right? He gets blinded. Why does he get blinded? It's so much significance. The Bible is so pregnant with meaning. Um, basically, uh, this is a hinge point in the book, right? And the reason Paul is blinded is because he is uh, symbolically representing the blindness of Israel. Now, remember where we've been, right? The Jews have continually rejected the gospel, right? Israel is blind. Jesus was saying the same thing in his ministry, right? They are still blind and not seeing that he is the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah, right? They're not seeing that. And so, um, however, God is still going to bring his plan to fruition. And so this is why the text says, no, 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 like, Hold on. Like Israel's blind. You're representative of their blindness, but I'm going to change you. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take you are going to take the gospel to Gentiles, to kings and to Israelites. All right. Um, and it's interesting because Paul knows himself as the apostle to the Gentiles. Go to uh, Acts or, or Galatians chapter one and two. Now, chapter eight, we had the first Gentile convert. Right. Supposedly. Chapter nine, we have the raising up 
of the apostle to the Gentiles, right? And then in chapter 10, we're going to have the spirit poured out on the Gentiles, right? So you see the movement of the book, how it's logically uh, flowing and sequentially flowing in that text. But I love what it says here at the very end. It says, um, it says, yo, uh, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Talking about Paul. Um, we learn a lot about from Paul's story, but part of what it means to be called to serve God, and this is something that applies to all of us, means to suffer for God, right? Part of what it means to be called to serve God means to suffer for God. Now, I know that don't make us feel good. We live, most people listening to this live in the modern West. We have so much comfort. We are the wealthiest uh, uh, generation and nation in, or nations or, or people group of all time, right? All this kind of stuff. But we don't like to hear that. But that's just the truth. That's just Christianity one-on-one. You dig what I'm saying? And the glory that we were made for only comes by the necessary route of suffering, just like our Messiah, right? Acts chapter 10. We have this narrative. Uh, Cornelius, guy named Cornelius, he's a Gentile, he's a God-fearer, meaning he is not from Israelite stock or descent or Jewish descent, but he is one who fears the God of Israel, right? So he is, his name is Cornelius, he's a God-fearer, he prays, all this good stuff, right? And he has this vision, right? God sends him a vision um, that he ought to send men to Peter, right? That's what the vision says, basically. Then after that, Peter is praying and he has a vision, <laughs> right? He has a vision, he's on the rooftop praying uh, uh, about unclean foods. He has this vision about unclean foods, and this would have been prohibited according to Torah, right? And God tells him to eat them, right? However, this is functioning on two levels, right? We see in the narrative as it flows that, yes, Christ does declare all foods to be clean, right? We see that in other parts of scripture. But he's also telling him that the Gentiles, hear this, will be clean as well. There's no unclean people group. Now, in first century Judaism, listen, Gentiles were just unclean, right? No, no, no. We don't, we don't associate with Gentiles. None of that. It's so funny. Uh, read the um, Dead Sea Scrolls. And you see that, um, man, they had this law, some Jews, not all Jews, some Jews had this law that you couldn't even go near, like you can go near a Gentile on the Sabbath, fam, like at all. Like you you couldn't be seen <laughs> near a Gentile on the Sabbath. So they were just unclean, right? There was this unclean people group, pagans who didn't know God, right? Who were just heathens, right? And so what God is saying, no, 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 like that ain't how we rocking, Chief. That ain't how we rocking. It's different. Spirit, the spirit tells him. Now notice it says that the spirit tells him, that's so good, that these men have been sent to him and he ought to go with him so he goes to cornelius's house and it's only going and he's going to um meet with him not only is that but he's going to um understand here what the dream meant right so it says peter said that said to them you know it's forbidden for a jewish man to associate with a visit a foreigner but god has shown me that i must not call any person impure or unclean and after this peter preaches the gospel to them and the gentiles have their own pentecost right right the holy spirit falls it says while he was actually preaching the spirit fell on them boys and they heard the gospel and uh, we learn that God does not show favoritism. He is the God of the Jews and of the Gentiles, too. So much here we can unpack. Um, but Acts, Acts chapter 11 is good, and it, and it gets to a point that I want to make about 10. You have all the Jewish Christians who are starting to hear the buzz, right? So now, now imagine centuries you've been bred, fam. It's in your bones, fam. You, we don't we don't just carry carry history in our in our minds, but in our bones, right? Like in our uh, nervous system, they believe that Gentiles are unclean. So you have to understand how crazy this is. This is like this is why the whole New Testament is talking about this Jew Gentile dynamic, and Paul is trying to help people sort this thing out, right? And um, so yeah, so 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 they go back to uh to to the, the Jewish Christians. They starting to hear the buzz about the Gentiles who received the gospel. So Peter goes back to Jerusalem and he has to defend himself, fam. He has to defend and uh, uh, recount the entire scene from Acts chapter 10, right? And he's like, yo, if God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you received the Holy Spirit when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? He's like, yo, how could I go against what God did, B? 
right? Verse 18. When they heard this, they became silent. They probably was pondering like, dang, really? And then, now, now, now carefully, uh, let me go back real quick. If you go back and read the Old Testament, right, now in hindsight, right, you can see like, oh, no, the plan from the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, really, uh, be fruitful and multiply, fill and the earth, right? Genesis chapter 12, right, which is a reversal of the actual fall, all that kind of stuff. We talked about that in the Genesis episode. Go listen. Uh, the the blessing for Abraham was to be a blessing to the entire world, right? To the nations of the earth. Paul will actually say in Romans chapter four, he was like, no, God was actually promising him not land, but the entire world. So in other words, it has always been from the beginning, a plan to be uh, uh, for, for Jews and Gentiles, all peoples of the earth to come worship the one true God, right? And so they were silent and they glorified God saying, so then God has given repentance resulting in life, even to the Gentiles, all right? Further, same chapter, we see the establishment of the church in Antioch, right? So we hear, we see the church coming together. We, we see even more Greeks coming to believe the gospel. And it was here that the church of uh, Paul and Barnabas, right, will be sent out from, right? They will be sent on mission from here, right? And this becomes a, a major center for uh, apostolic Christianity, right? Antioch, literally. Uh, and, it, and it becomes the major hub in Acts moving forward. And I love what verse 26 says. It says, when he found him. And when he uh, found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So good. We see that the early Christian community was beginning to have their own identity apart from Judaism. Now, I don't mean that in a disparaging way to Jews. Right. But I am saying that uh, this community was saying, no, we are for our fulfillment, our fulfillment of the actual promise that was made in Torah and the law and the prophets. Right. Um, in the writings. Um and what we have here is this multi-ethnic community. Now, this was uh, to be called a Christian here in Antioch was actually a derogatory, or a derogatory term. It was a term of ridicule by outsiders. Right. It, it, it was it was saying that they were other. Right. Um, but it's interesting that uh, here that the, that the Christians adopted this term and redemptively used it to say that they follow Jesus. Right. And for our purposes, I think it's fitting. That the only after the spirit comes upon the Gentiles are they actually called Christians. So in other words, the church is at its core, fam, a multi-ethnic reality. This is why, this is why, hear me. This is why things like solidarity, justice, and reconciliation across racial lines are so important. Right. This is why. Because if you read the Bible, fam, we 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 ain't putting none on the text. We're pulling this out the text. You feel me? Right. You read the Bible. You see how important this is to the God of the universe. Right. And it should be important to us as Christians as well. Acts chapter 12, last one of this bunch. We see James executed. This is not Jesus's brother, but this is the brother of John. Right. So remember, they asked Jesus like, yo, who can we sit on your right and your left in the kingdom? And he's like, you got to drink the cup. James drunk the cup. Right. So he is murdered. He is he's martyred for his faith um, by Herod Agrippa. Right. And, and this is the grandson of the Herod we see in the time of Christ. So he is keeping uh, in line with his granddaddy. Right. However, we see that the apostles are literally following in the footsteps of Christ. James is executed. Peter, during the Passover, is arrested just like Jesus was arrested during the Passover. Peter gets thrown in jail and miraculously, this angel breaks him out. And similar to Christ, the disciples here in Acts chapter 12, if you read it carefully, thought he was good as dead. <laughs> but he miraculously comes back to the disciples, all right? Just like Christ did. So you see how Luke is, is crafting the narrative to show that they are following the way. I remember earlier, or in Acts chapter 9, he says, uh, Saul went to go persecute the way, right? This is the way. This is the path that God wants all of humanity to follow, following the footsteps of his Messiah, his king. 
And at the end, Herod gets what he deserves. But I love what verse 24 says. It says, but the word of God spread and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was also called Mark. I love that. The word of God spread and multiplied. Listen, the point of this text is to show that no political power, no uh, human ruler, no human authority, nothing on earth can triumph over the kingdom of God and those who belong to it. Why? Because the power that we have is not a power of our own. It's a power of the spirit of the resurrected, exalted, victorious Christ, right? It is the Holy Spirit that we have that allows us to be who God has called us to be and to allow his kingdom mission to flourish on earth in spite of persecution. Let's pray. God, we ask that we would be agents of the kingdom, Father. We pray that we would be in tune and experience the power of the spirit to continue on the way today, Lord. Uh, I pray that we wouldn't just see suffering as something that is normal, but that is necessary to enter the kingdom of God. Give us those this grace today.